Father, we've been looking at Romans 6 and God speaking about being slaves to sin. And uh, God, that, that comes involuntarily because we're humans. That we are, God, born as slaves to sin. God, thank you in Jesus Christ that we are, are free from sin. Um, and Father, I, I do pray for these millions of people around the world. It's not an overt slavery, God, like it was in the past, um, Father, with uh, chains and plantations and, and beatings and scorchings. And yet, God, a lot of that now happens all in secret. I'm sure there are chains and I'm sure there are, are punishments and, and torture in order to keep people there and dependent upon whoever a master is, whatever kind of slavery this is, Lord, I pray by your grace you would help us to be a, a voice to that cause. Would Thank you for Becca and her heart for that. Um, God would, would pray that you would, would help her raise awareness. God, help us to see just what what's taking place there. So strengthen us, oh God, for that. I also pray for the, this weekend coming up in the, in the jail. Thank you for an opportunity. God, I think there's a... There's a captain there who is committed to this. And uh, God, just thank you that, that he is. I pray, O oh Lord, for demonstrable fruit as a result of um, this weekend where the, those in jail would, uh, God, to see that, that the, the world is for them, not against them. And many of these have, God, would have professed Christ or have shown some interest in the Bible and some level of proficiency. I pray, O oh God, that they might be radically changed by a weekend of love and grace. Many are in jail because they don't have that. They don't know that. I would pray that God, this weekend would be a, a day marked in eternity that could be looked back on as a crucial changing point for, for some people. Um, and, and Father, I just think of also people in distress, God, just with uh, Houston. and uh, God, I pray you'd, you'd give us a, a vision direction of how we can help um, what that means. Uh, I know lots of money is flooding in, and, and yet this is a, a years-long project to try to help people down there. Um, God, just thank you even for the Crossway Network and seeing some emails of trying to connect with a church that is seeking to do some good uh, down there. And so, Lord, would pray that you would guide us in that. God, if that means trips down there like uh, we took during Katrina, a couple trips were taken just to help some families and Without insurance, we became a labor force for them to help them rebuild. I, I pray that you'd, you'd guide us, that we would have compassion upon those who are, are needy. I, I think of the, the scriptures and when there was a, a, a famine in Jerusalem and the Gentile churches raised funds that, that Paul took back to Jerusalem to help uh, the saints there. I see a, a similar thing here. I, I pray you give us wisdom as to how to, how to proceed with these things. Um, so God, also, I just pray that as we come to your word, um, just thank you for the ways we've sung of your, your salvation. Come, ye sinners, poor and needy. Um, God, Jesus can move mountains. He is a, a mighty Savior. Um, God, we are prone to wander. Lord, we feel it. We're prone to leave the God we love. God, take our hearts and seal it for courts above. God, I pray that even today we would be struck. God, that, that how can it be that you... Our God, my God, would die for me. What amazing love, oh God, that is. And it's this week we're looking at John 3, 16 and 17 in our, in our prayer meeting, in our fighter verses, which many are thinking about. I pray that that would sink deep in our hearts, that you loved, you so loved the world that you gave your only son. 
Uh, that whoever believes in him will not perish but have everlasting life. What a, what a simple thing it is to believe in Jesus. Merely to look to him who's lifted high. And yet so many love their darkness instead of merely looking and believing in Jesus. So, so help, O oh God, us transform our hearts even here to, to love the Savior in greater ways and to be more bold than ever before to speak of Christ. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, just one more word by way of announcements. This Saturday, we're going to finish uh, downstairs in the basement our gymnasium. Downstairs, getting some boards. It's a cafeteria, right? But it's, uh, getting some boards up around so the kids can use it as a gymnasium. Um, if you're interested in that, just talk with Andy. We'll help on, on that. Just kind of putting some boards up would be good. Also, after our service today, we do have our fellowship dinner. Uh, if you're visiting today, we'd encourage you just to come and join us. We have enough sandwiches for you, I'm sure. It's going to be a, a great time. And church family, it's a time to connect. Sit with someone you don't know and just say, hey, I don't know you very well and just would like to meet you. It would be a, uh, a great time, a crucial time, just as we think about right the, the four pillars of the church. They committed themselves, the early church, to the apostles' teaching, the breaking of bread, the fellowship, and the prayer. And the, the teaching is what we're doing now. The fellowship happens right after church every Sunday, right, for a half an hour, an hour, and even it, it extends, right, the, the breaking of bread. That's the Lord's Supper that is also just eating together and the prayer. Nine o'clock in the morning, we have a prayer meeting. We encourage you to come. Uh, just, you know, it's a time, one time. We just try to come one hour early where we can really pray to God together as a, a church family. We would really pray that you'd consider, encourage you to consider praying that you might make that part of your Sunday morning routine. Just a, an opportunity for us to pray and plead our hearts before the Lord for his blessing. Okay, we're, we're Romans 7, and, and before we, we get there, I want to tell you of something that took place a week ago Friday. So uh, um, my youngest son, David, is starting a, a classical conversations homeschool workshop. We've not done classical conversations before, but we're, we're starting in on that, and uh, just with, with David. And Yvonne was out of the country in Germany last Friday, if you remember, and so I was homeschool dad a little bit, so I, I brought him there. And um, just the opening chapel, I think, started at 9.15 and kind of with some announcements and, and, and things like that. And then he went to his classroom and I went home. They were gracious to let me go um, uh, to be able to, uh, to do my work. But I want to tell you about that opening chapel. In just 15 minutes, just think about it as a group, first time we're meeting together. There's a, a leader there, um, Janelle Young was her name, and she uh, uh, was just presenting just what, what's happening and how, how things are going to happen this, this next year. And, and she pulled out this big poster board. I, I, took, a, I took a picture of it because I, I thought it was, was so good. A, a big poster board, right? Respect, right? These are the rules that, that she, she brought about and to, to tell the students about how things are going to act there at the, the building where they were and, and how, how running in the halls is dangerous, which is true, kids, especially to the older generation. They'll thank you if you realize that. Exit only through the front doors. Um, you know, at their place, they, they didn't want anything going through the back door. And for us, right, we don't, don't go on the north side, of the west side of the property, right? Just stay on the east side, which you do. We, we've been trained with that. Um, the stage, right? instruments are off limits. And I remember Jan, Janelle, she was talking about how these, these things up here, that you, can't, you can't come up here, kids, because these are, are delicate uh, instruments. And I remember, it was, I think it was at that point that she was kind of going on and on about the... Uh, the instruments on the stage, and, and then there was a, a little guy, a little student about David's age next to me, and who kind of turned up to me and whispered, and, and, and he said this, she's taunting us. 
Well, that little story, we went through the rest of them, but it was that moment, I, I like, yes, that is this Sunday, that is the message. Of the rules are a taunt, because it perfectly illustrates our, our text, because rules are established that are good rules, they, they make sense, they help establish order, and in this case, order and safety at school, and, and, and yet... When the rules are explained, sometimes there's just a, a provocation that takes place. You know, the, there's something about our hearts, and we all need to realize that, that, that when a rule is there, our heart kind of wants to break those rules. Isn't there a common saying, right? Rules are meant to be broken. Right? In other words, right? rules are there, but they're meant to be, meant to be broken. And that's how it often works, right? Some standard is set, and we want to go just, just, just beyond that standard. Um, you know, the classic illustration is the speed limit. Speed limit's posted, we want to go faster. My daughter told me recently when she was going pretty fast, all right, not, not, not this daughter, okay, because she's a respectable driver, she drives very well, uh, but another driver was kind of going fast, she said, Dad, don't you know the phrase? It's nine, you're fine, ten, you're mine, right? And so, like, like you're, you're okay in that, in that buffer is, is what she was, was telling me, right? But, but, but we want to push that. Or dress code is established, and, and we want to wear a, a different color, be out, or whatever, skirt's a little higher, or whatever, different color shirt, or it's okay. We, we, want, to, we want to change those things. There's something about rules that make us want to, like, break them. And what's true about rules in general is also true about the, the law of God. And really, it's what we see in our text this morning, that, that God sets a standard, and our hearts are such that they long to, to go past and to break that standard how God, how our, our hearts are made. So if you haven't done so already, I invite you to open your Bibles to Romans chapter 7, page 943 in your pew Bibles. If you didn't bring a Bible, if you don't have a Bible, those pew Bibles, they're yours. You take one home. We want you to have a Bible. Romans 7, 7 through 13 is my, my text today. What shall we say then? Paul starts, that the law is sin? By no means. Yet, If it had not been for the law, I would not have known sin, for I would not have known what it is to covet if the law had not said, you shall not covet. But sin, seizing an opportunity through the commandment, produced in me all kinds of covetousness. For apart from the law, sin lies dead. I was once alive apart from the law, but when the commandment came, sin came alive And I died. The very commandment that promised life proved to be death to me. For sin, seizing an opportunity through the commandment, deceived me and through it killed me. So the law is holy, and the commandment is holy and righteous and good. Did that which is good then bring death to me? By no means. It was sin producing death in me through what is good, in order that sin might be shown to be sin, and through the commandment might become sinful beyond measure. Paul here is telling his conversion story, if you will. Not the whole thing, but a sliver of it. Just a, a slice of his conversion story. Talking about how, how the law came, right? The rules came, and how they taunted him, and how he saw how he broke the rules, and how that crushed him. He doesn't necessarily talk here about salvation, but he is, he is leading up to that is what he's doing. He's, he's drawing back to, to the relationship of, of sin and law. In my message this morning, I have basically three statements, three truisms, three axioms. axioms. They all come from the text. 
And they are all what Paul is talking about. He's trying to, to, to discern this relationship between sin and the law and how it is. And here's, here's my first one. is The law is not sin. That's exactly what Paul says here in verse 7, right? What shall we say then? That the law is sin? And he says, by no means. Again, whenever Paul asks a question, you've got to stop and say, okay, so why did he ask that question? Um, because asking that question helps illuminate the text and what it's, what it's really all about. And in the case of here, is, is the law sin? Um, know that his readers didn't think the law was sin. Uh, because it, it doesn't come from an Old Testament understanding of the law of, of sin and law and how this all works out. The Old Testament is unreserved in the high praise of a law. Ryan read for us Psalm 19. It says in Psalm 19, verse 7, the law of the Lord is perfect. It, it says in Psalm 119, verse 18, the psalmist is praying, open my eyes that I may behold wonderful things from thy law. Uh, your law is wonderful and I just want my eyes to be open so I can see the wonders of a law. Or Isaiah 42, verse 21, the Lord was pleased for his righteousness sake to magnify his law and to make it glorious. The law is glorious. It is majestic. In Israel, when they received the law, they knew that other nations would say, well, what nation is there that has statutes and rules so righteous? It's all this law that I set before you today. There's not a nation. There's, there's not a kingdom that has a law so glorious in purpose and, and um, magnificent as what Israel had. And so when Paul says, what, what shall we say then? Is the law sin? It's not coming from the Old Testament. This question arises because of what he is saying. He's talking about this, this way of living according to written code and how that's just not good. So look at verse 6. It kind of stems off of that. But now we are released from the law, having died to that which held us captive, so that we serve in the new way of the Spirit, not in the old way of the written code. See, the written code is like the old way of living. And, and now, actually, he says in verse 6 that we are released from the law, that, that, that no longer binds us anymore. Now, now, some of the terminology, also he talks about sin and the law in much the same way. Look back at chapter 6, verse 2. He says, how can we who died to sin still live in it? I mean, we all think about, yes, we need to die to sin because sin is really bad and we need to get rid of it and just die to it. But he also uses that same thing about the law. Look at chapter 7 and verse 4. Likewise, my brothers, you have died to the law through the body of Christ. See, we, we've died to sin, and we've, we've died to the law, and th- those two things are, are, are parallel. And we can understand dying to sin because it's bad. Now, what about dying to law? Does that mean that the law also is bad? Are, are they both bad? And, and furthermore, look what Paul says in verse 5. He says, For while we were living in the flesh, our sinful passions aroused by the law were at work in our members. So the law was arousing our members. That's why my message this morning is entitled The Power of Sin is the Law. The the law was there taken by sin to arouse sin in our our members, to bear fruit for death, that is, to to sin. And so how can that be? I mean, how how can the law arouse to sin if it's not bad, if it's not sin? And Paul says, the law sin? He says, by no means. That is, in no way whatsoever. No way, Jose. No way, no how, no show, no go. Absolutely not. The the law is not sin. In fact, look down at verse 12, how he describes the law. He says, so the law is holy, 
And the commandment is holy and righteous and good. There he is, just lifting the law. That's how a Jew would always look at the law. It's holy. It's, it's holy and righteous and good. It's holy because it comes from a holy God. It, it's righteous because it directs us in a right way to go. It's good because it aims for our benefit. Following the law of God will result in blessings on our lives. It will work on, um, it will lead us to life. So is the law sin? No. The law is not sin. But my second point, from the second half of verse 7, and, and it's sprinkled throughout my text a little bit, is the law shows us our sin. He says, what shall we say then, that the law is sin? By no means. Yet, if it had not been for the law, I would not have known sin. For I would not have known what is the covet if the law had not said, you shall not covet. And I trust you can see right there my, my point. If it had not been for law, I would not have known sin. In other words, I know sin because of a law, or as I said, the law shows us our sin. Now, this isn't anything new to what Paul is saying. We, we've seen this before a few times in the... The book of Romans, look back at chapter 3 and verse 20. This is kind of concluding the whole sin section. Chapter 3, verse 20, verse 19. Now we know that whatever the law says, it speaks to those who are under the law, that every mouth may be stopped and the whole world be held accountable to God. That's the law. It's speaking to those who are under the law and it's going to shut you up. It's going to show you your sin. Because that's what verse 20 says, For by the works of a law, no human being will be justified in his sight, since through the law comes the knowledge of sin. And that's, that's my point exactly, right? The law shows us our sin. Through the law comes knowledge of sin. See, and, and here's how it works, right? That when the law is made known, the standard is set, and, and any failing to meet that standard just, just demonstrates that we're sinners. But... We saw this also in chapter 5. You turn over there. In chapter 5, we saw that, that until the law came, people didn't know the law of God, and so God didn't hold people responsible for keeping the law. Look at chapter 5 and verse 13. Well, in verse 12, he says that sin came in the world through one man, and death through sin, and so death spread to all men because all sin. That is, we all sinned in Adam. And he's going to explain, right? For sin indeed was in the world before the law was given, but sin is not counted where there is no law. In other words, right, sin was in the world between Adam and Moses, but it wasn't sin against the law because the law was not there yet. But God didn't count that their sin against the law, but yet they died. So that means that they sinned in Adam is what it was, right? Verse 14, death reigned from Adam to Moses. But sin is not counted, verse 13, where there is no law. Because through law comes the knowledge of sin. Without the knowledge of sin, right, he doesn't account that. But the fact they died demonstrates that we died because we sinned in Adam. It's the great mystery of imputation. And, and, and people resist that. They say, no, 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 I'm accountable for my own sin. Well, if you're accountable for your own sin, you're also accountable for your own righteousness. And see, Adam sinned and that, that caused us to all die. That's why every single one of us is on the path to death. But it's through faith in Jesus then that Jesus died for us so that by that, that one act of righteousness we can be made right. Because there are two men who had two acts with two results. Adam and Jesus were the two men. They had two acts. Adam sinned, but Jesus was righteous. He sacrificed. And the two results is death through Adam and life through Jesus. It's the good news of the gospel. But see, when the law was given, though, the standard was set and sin was made manifest, right? The, the law shows us our sin. If it had not been for the law, I would not have known sin. Law brings to us an awareness of sin. 
Okay, I've got two drone stories for you today. All right, I, I talked about that last week. Uh, drone evangel- I did some drone evangelism this week, sort of, a little bit. So here's a side story. First of all, I um, uh, had a, a youth event this Wednesday night, knocker ball. Had my, my drone out, taking some cool videos. How many of you saw the video that I sent out in the weekly word? Very fun, huh? And uh, so there we are. We're, not, we're on a really high ladder. No, we're not. We're, we're flying around, and uh, we're way above watching them move around. And now, if, if you notice, I'm standing um, right down there with Todd, Henning, and, um, and a, a couple of people. There are a few guys who are just driving around, and uh, they saw this funny thing with all these, these teenagers knocking each other with these balls, and they also saw the drone, and so they went to check it out. And here I... I uh, kind of snapped a picture of them. Hey, look at this drone. Click, right? And I got this picture of, of what we were doing. And, and there's Todd, and, and they were there. And um, I just kind of showed them my people magnet. I mean, I mean, my drone is what I was trying to show them. And just kind of how it works. And, and then I just tried to, tried to get some conversation going with it. Like, like, what are they doing there? Or why are they around? Or what do they do? And, and I think they're involved in some multi-level marketing something because their answer was sort of, I, I don't exactly know. But they were fishing for me, and I was fishing for them is, is really what it was. And, uh, and so I, I transitioned the best that I could, just kind of thinking there's lots going on. I'm kind of flying this drone. They're interested in that. They're interested in maybe me joining their business, whatever, whatever that, that meant. And, and I said, you know, see this picture here? This is a great picture of our church. Just... Just happy people, enjoying life, enjoying life together. I said, do you guys go to church at all? One guy's quick says, I go to City First. The other guy said, uh, yeah, I, I'm, I'm, I'm looking to visit um, a church on Riverside. Um, he couldn't really come up with the name of the church. And, and I just kind of prying to see if they're interested in spiritual things. I, I don't think they will. But at least I invited them to church anyway. I don't think they came. You're not here today, are you? <laughs> that might be kind of embarrassing. But I'm just trying to... Trying to, trying to pull people in, and so we'll, we'll see. But, but really, my main story to illustrate how the law shows it was sin is a different drone story, and that drone story has to do with a guy in the neighborhood here. So I was, I was walking around the neighborhood. I was talking to some people uh, just right out here, our, our church neighborhood, and I saw a guy flying a drone. So it wasn't me. It was, it was someone else, and, and I, I kind of walked over, and I saw what he had, and, and I, I noticed by his controller that he had a Phantom 4 Pro. And I said, is that a Phantom 4 Pro? And he said, yeah. And I, I told him how envious I was. I said, I just have a, a Phantom 3 standard. His drone is an expensive kind. It costs three times as much as mine does. Looks exactly the same, but, but does a lot more, takes a lot better picture and stuff. And, and so I, I watched what he was doing, and he's kind of taking some pictures, and I could tell he's kind of a novice at, at things. Um, and I was kind of talking to him, because I love flying my drone, I wanted to talk about it, and, uh, and so I asked him a little bit what he did, because I was interested. Maybe this is like a, a real estate guy, like I, I haven't met anyone in Rockford who just does drone real estate, and just kind of wondering how, I'm just interested in that business and what, what he was doing, and you know, and he talked about, well, taking some pictures sometimes, and, and I said, oh, great, you know, I'm part 107 certified, and so I could take pictures too. And, and, and he said, what, what's that? And I, I said, you don't know about Part 107? He says, uh, no, should I? I said, yeah, because Part 107 is a UAS un, uh, unmanned aircraft uh, systems license and allows you to fly your drone for any kind of uh, pay or, or pushing a business or anything like that. And, and I said, you know what, if you don't have that, flying for pay is illegal. And uh, you're, you're breaking the law. And... 
And so you, you need to know what, um, what flying's about, your, your limits, and you need to understand that. And so you, I think you should look into that. And um, so after we talked about that a little bit, then our conversation quickly wind down. I did invite him to church. I said, I'm the pastor of the church right there. You're more than welcome to come. We'd love to, we'd love to have you. But here's my point. Okay, Psalm 107. I'm sorry, part 107, right? He, he was flying along, um, doing just fine. Should I just go onto this mic? What should I do here, Andrew? Okay, I'm just, I'm, I'm just going to go here. How's that? It's buzzing. Is it good? Okay. Um, before he heard of 107, he was just kind of flying along and like, oh, I, I can do my thing. I, this is totally fine with me. And so he just he did a thing. But now he knows about part 107. And, and, and now he's no longer ignorant of the law, right? Before the law came, I, I did not know sin. That's what Paul is saying right here, right? The, the law shows us our sin. Right? If it had not been for law, I would not have known sin. If it had not been for Steve coming and talking to me about part 107, I would not have known that I needed a license. But now... He's accountable, and now he's um, got to go find that out. The chance of him finding it out, slim to none, and slim left town. I think a lot about, about that because people don't normally do that. But he's without excuse because my coming to him, now he knows the law, and now he knows what he, he needs to do. And, and that's exactly the same way that the law came. Right before the law came, we were free. But then the law comes, and it confronts us in our sin, and And that's my point, right? The the law shows us our sin. Paul's talking about this a little bit and look at verses 8 to 9. But sin, seizing an opportunity through the commandment, produced in me all kinds of covetousness. But here's what I want to say, right? Apart from the law, sin lies dead. See, it's the law that, that invigorates this sin within us. And so the law makes us know sin. It, it talks about it. It invigorates us within that to sin. It said, I was once alive apart from the law. But when the commandment came, sin came alive and I died. Right? See, before the commandment came, I was, I was walking along and I was sinning and I was, I was okay. I didn't even realize it was sin. I didn't realize anything was, was wrong. Because without a law, right, there, there's not the sin there. But when the law came, it showed me my sin. And Paul, talking about his conversion experience, says, when I saw that, I died. Meaning I was, I was crushed. I saw that I wasn't living rightly according to the law. Now, verse 7, it's interesting. He gives us the very law that convicted him. It was the 10th commandment. You shall not covet. Paul says, verse 7, right? For I would not have known what it is to covet if the law had not said you shall not covet. And he's talking here about his pre-conversion days. He's using about the past tense, about how God convicted his heart of sin. He's talking about his interaction with the law. And, and before the law came, he said he was ignorant of coveting, which is really remarkable. I mean, especially if you think about Paul. Paul was a, a Pharisee. I mean, he, he was a Pharisee of Pharisees. He described himself, Philippians 3, he was a Hebrew of Hebrew, a Pharisee of Pharisees. As to zeal, a persecutor of the church, as to the righteousness of the law. You remember what he says? He says, I was blameless. All right, when it came to law, not only did I know the law, not only did I teach the law, not only was zealous for the law, but according to law, I was blameless. So what's he talking about? This coveting sort of law coming. And even in Galatians 1.14, Paul speaks about how he was advancing in Judaism beyond many of my own age. Like he was, he was exceeding everybody. He was, he was most zealous, most knowledgeable, the greatest teacher in the Jews. And, and he didn't know about coveting. 
I think a lot of that had to do with how the Jews, the Pharisees particularly, thought about the Ten Commandments. How they thought about the commandments. They thought it was all external. And you can take the first nine commandments and you can, you can maybe look at them external-wise, right? You shall have no other gods before me. Well, why don't you look at my life? Am I going to a church or am I going to a mosque? See, I, I'm worshiping Jesus. I, I, I'm worshiping God. I'm not worshiping the earth. I'm not worshiping some false god. You shall not make for yourself a great image. Well, come to my house. Are there idols in my house? You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain. Well, listen to what I say. Am I swearing? Do I swear at all? Do I use God's name in vain? Keep the Sabbath holy. For the Jews, it's Saturday. Well, look, am I resting on that day or am I going too much on that day? Honor your father and mother. How am I treating my parents? Do I talk with them? Visit them? Do I care for them? Yes, I'm going. Look, I visited them every week for my life. I'm honoring my parents. Do not murder. Do not commit adultery. Do not steal. Do not lie. I mean, you can say, well, I haven't killed anybody. right? I haven't left my wife. I'm not a thief. I'm not a liar. I mean, you can look at those things externally. Of course, what Brian read from Matthew 5 today demonstrates that the law, the intent of a law is not just mere externals, but it gets to the heart, right? It's not a matter of murder, it's a matter of anger. It's not a matter of adultery, it's a matter of thinking about lust. But, but the Pharisees would have seen things all external. And so Paul could have said, I kept the law, I am blameless. But with the 10th commandment, it all changes. And the 10th commandment is different because it's intrinsically internal, there's no external test for obedience to this commandment. You, you can't look at someone, listen to them or, or watch them, and just see if they're keeping this commandment or not many times because it's, it's the heart, and, and coveting originates and fosters itself in the heart. That's why Paul could say he was blameless because he's all, all thinking externally, but when God opened his heart to this commandment, he was broken because he saw, no, I'm a, I'm a coveter. And now, when exactly this was? You know, we're not exactly sure. My suspicion, somehow it's on the road to um, Damascus when he was going to persecute Christians and Jesus appeared to him. And we see a transformation from persecuting the church to seeking to build up the church. And, and it might have been for those days when he was blind before Ananias came. And he's really thinking about his sin, really thinking about Jesus. Maybe Jesus is exposing the internal purpose and intent of the, of the law, in particular this covetous heart was really being exposed and we see here what happened in verse 8 right sin seizing an opportunity through the commandment produced in me all kinds of covetousness for apart from the law sin lies dead because the law doesn't only show us our sin the, the law thirdly even stirs us up to sin see there's something about a law as, as my, my little friend said she's taunting us that taunts us to sin, that eggs us to sin, that, that stirs us on. There's something about commandments that provokes us to, to think in ways maybe we never really thought before. So, so think back to the garden. I think this is the perfect illustration of it. The Lord God came to Adam and said, You may surely eat of any tree of the garden, but the tree that's in the middle of the, the garden, the, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, you shall not eat from it, for the day that you eat of it you will die. And, and so my guess is, I'm just thinking about Adam, Right, you got all these trees, and they all just look normal. And then all of a sudden, God points out this one tree. And I'm sure that Adam made that tree a center focus of study. It was different. It was to be avoided. <clears throat> and when the serpent came to tempt Eve, that tree was the focus. Not all these other trees. 
And, and so you, you think about the temptation account. Okay, so I'm, I'm surmising here. I'm, I'm, I'm going out on a limb a little bit. But how close do you think Eve was to that tree when the serpent approached her? You get zero sense that they're on the far reaches of the garden and the serpent comes up to Eve and says, Hey, Eve, Eve, you got a minute? Here, let me show you something. Here, come follow me. Walking through the path of the garden. order. Are you familiar with this tree? Okay, well, let, let, let me show you this tree. Uh, the sense is that she was kind of there close by that tree. I think that tree was an object of study because the law was, was provoking her and, and stirring up within there. And, and the serpent didn't need to shout, Hey, Eve, come over here, look at this tree. He probably whispered his seductive words. Did God really say and she was close enough to hear it but when she ate she gave it to her husband and this is no conjecture genesis 3 verse 6 who was with her watching this whole thing happen and eve didn't have to summon adam hey adam adam come over here and I think, I think it's the same thing, right? The, the law stirs up, entices, and the law was against that tree. And so there was a lot of focus upon that tree. And that which was forbidden became a fascination. And again, verses 8 and 9. Sin, seizing an opportunity through the commandment, produced in me all kinds of covetousness. For apart from law, sin lies dead. I was once alive apart from law, but when the commandment came, sin came alive and, and I died. That ex- explains exactly Adam and Eve's situation in the garden. The commandment came. It produced a covetousness. It produced a passion and a wanting and a desire. And he, they followed through on it. And in verse 10, look what it says. It says, the very commandment that promised life proved to be death to me. God's command to Adam was steer clear of that tree. From the day you eat it, you will surely die. And the commandment was intending life, right? Don't eat that tree, you're going to live. But you eat that tree, you're going to die. This was a protective commandment. The very commandment that promised life proved to be death to me. In fact, all of God's commandments promised life. Leviticus 18, 4 and 5. You shall follow my rules and keep my statutes and walk in them. I am the Lord your God. You shall therefore keep my statutes and my rules. If a person does them... He shall live by them. I am the Lord. You do them, you'll live by them. Uh, Do you remember one of the last things that Moses told Israel before he died? He basically said, choose life in Genesis, uh, I'm sorry, Deuteronomy 30, or at the end of his writings. just, Just listen to the connection between life and death. He says in verse 11, this commandment that I of Deuteronomy 30, this commandment that I command you today is not too hard for you, neither is it far off. It is not in heaven that you should say, who will ascend to heaven for us and who will bring it to us that we may hear also. Neither is it beyond the sea that you should say, who will go over the sea and bring it for us and bring it to us that we may hear it and do it. But the word is very near you. It's in your mouth and it's in your heart so that you can do it. See, I have set before you today life and good, death and evil. If you obey the commandments of the Lord your God that I command you today, by loving the Lord your God, by walking his ways, by keeping his commandments and his statutes and his rules, then you shall live and multiply, and the Lord your God will bless you in the land that you're entering to take possession of it. But if your heart turns away, and you will not hear, but are drawn away to worship other gods and serve them, I declare to you today that you shall surely perish. You shall not live long in the land that you're going over the Jordan to enter it and possess it. I call heaven 
and earth to witness today against you. I've set before you life and death, blessing and curse. Therefore, choose life that you and your offspring may live. Loving the Lord your God, obeying his voice and holding fast to him. For he's your life and length of days. That you may dwell in the land the Lord your God swore to your fathers, to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob, and to give it to them. The commandment gives life. And Paul says here, the very commandment, the promised life, it actually proved to be death to me. See, because apart from the law, you can live oblivious to the temptation. You can live oblivious to any kind of licensing that you need to fly a drone. You you, you can be oblivious to any sort of... uh, Places you can fly. I remember when I first got a drone, I, I was really excited. Like, oh, man, this would be great. We go to California. We, we go hiking in these national parks, and it would be great to fly this thing. And then someone said, oh, you can't fly it in a national park. I was like, I didn't know that. In my mind, all right, I was going to do this, but then this, the law came. It's like, oh, it's got to change and adjust. and got to got to show what, what's there. But for Paul, right, we're talking about life. It's seizing an opportunity through the commandment, verse 11. Sin, seizing an opportunity through the commandment, deceived me, and through it, killed me. You know, you know there's a way oftentimes that, that even something good can, can stir in our hearts and can be used for bad. Uh, I just think about say, sex education in the life of young children. Might easily create a curiosity where there wasn't any curiosity before and lead easily to sin. Or some deviant website, oh, don't go there. What's the temptation? I want to go there and see what that's about. I mean, even a a sign in a museum that says, don't touch. How many of you touched? I know I have. I'm like, just my, I don't have so much oil on my finger. Like, I just like to touch that. Like, just to feel, I just, if it says don't touch, I'm an odds-on favorite to break the rule. And I know the intent, but it's, there's, a, there's a compelling welling up. And, and sometimes, right, they're seeing sin its consequences, or, or parents teaching this, or, or, or whatever. Just you, you see what's life and see what's death, and yet, right, you, you read of some crime in a book or a newspaper. And, and, and you say, oh, I don't do that. But you start thinking about it. You start taking some steps towards that. Or you watch some sinful activity in a movie, right? And, and you say, um, um, well, I, I wouldn't do that. And even if it ends badly, you know you're not supposed to do that, but you start thinking about, well, they did it, and it wasn't bad, but I know, it's not, I, know I shouldn't do that. But you start, you start doing things. Or you, or you hear of a friend connecting up on Facebook, and it's, it ends bad, and, and you start thinking about, hmm, I wonder what other friends I had from high school that I might connect up with, people you shouldn't be connecting up with. Because we start thinking about it. That's how sin works. That's how law works, right? Some commandment, some blessing, and we take that, and such is the wickedness of our heart, and we turn it for evil. Because the commandment comes not to do evil, and we think very strongly about doing the evil that's prohibited. Now, it's not the fault of the commandment, okay? Verse 12 again. The law is holy, the commandment is holy and righteous and good. It's not the commandment's fault. Where's the fault, huh? Where's it? Sin, it's, it's us is the fault. In fact, we're going to get in next week at verse 14. We know the law is spiritual, but I am of the flesh, sold under sin. See, it's us. I mean, think about it. We take a good, holy, and precious thing like the law, and we twist it and distort it and use it for evil. But catch what's happening at that moment, okay? Here's where the blessing in the text comes. When we take what's good and we twist it for evil... We see how wicked our hearts are. Look at verse 13. Did that which is good then 
bring death to me? No, it wasn't, it wasn't the good thing that was bringing death to me. See, it's not this good law bringing death to me. It's my sin producing death in me through what is good. And if, if sin produces death in me through what is good, it shows how bad my sin is. In order that sin might be shown to be sin and through the commandment might become sinful beyond measure. That when we take a good commandment and twist it into sin, we see exactly how sinful we are. Now, on the one hand, this can be a discouraging thing. Right, we take God's glorious, holy law, marvelous law, and we twist it for bad. Shaming God, dishonoring the Lord, wretched people we are. And yet right here, though, is, is the encouraging thing because it's the, the context through which the gospel comes. See, it's the inability to keep the law where we see that we need a Savior. We, we see that we, we need help. You know, I, I was talking to someone this week. Um, this was an in-depth conversation. This wasn't drone evangelism, okay? This was just, this was just talking. And, and uh, the guy was tell, telling me about his spiritual life. And uh, he's telling me about how he reads the Bible consistently. He tells me about the church he's involved in, how long he's been there. He's been there for decades. And telling me about how he even considers himself maybe being a pastor someday. You're thinking like, yeah, that's good. I'm telling a pastor that. Like, you might get some, some good there, I think. And, and, and those are good things, right? Reading your Bible and going to church and aspiring for ministry. That, that's all wonderful. But... But if you kind of were there a little bit, you'd see and discern that the Bible readings for positive motiva- motivation, and his church doesn't focus too much attention at all on the Bible. It's a mainline denomination that's not, even to his own admission, is not a teaching the Bible. That's not what it's about. And, and really has no business being a pastor without knowledge of the scriptures, like he really needs to have a dependence upon that. And so, so I told him my testimony. I said, you know, I used to attend a church exactly similar to what you're describing. And uh, I'm just telling you, the, the thing that changed in my life is how different it was when I went to a church that really taught the Bible. That went, went verse by verse, and, and I, Sunday would preach, and he'd preach some verses. I said, like this Sunday, I'm going to be preaching from Romans 7, 7 through 13. Last week I was in Romans 7, 1 through 6. And I could go home and look at what the Bible said and, and learn and grow. And then being around a body of people that were like that, I, I said, that was life transforming for me. When I, I saw the, the reality of my sin and I saw Jesus for who he was and I, and I just understood more and more about his sufficient sacrifice on the, on the cross for, for my sins. And I said, that's what really changed me. And, and so, so I challenged him. I, I said, you know what, that, that's the thing. I said, does your church teach the Bible? Are they focused on the Bible? No, no, not, not, not really. And I said, but that's the thing that's going to really change and transform you. And so, so I, I challenged that. And in many ways, that's what Paul is talking about, right? This true and genuine understanding of the law showed me my sin, showed me how deep my sin is because the law stirred me to sin, even though good and holy it is. And eventually, of course, on that road to Damascus, it led Paul to the Savior. And that's my hope for all of us here today is that that, that the law would do its convicting work in your life, that you would think about how you take good and righteous and holy commands and then distort them and twist them to do your own evil, and to realize you need a Savior so you trust in Jesus as your only hope. And so, you know, maybe, maybe by way of application in some regards, I mean, first of all, right, is that where your hope lies? Totally in Jesus. Do, do you see your own sinfulness? 
But second, maybe, have you told others of your testimony? Have you told others of how God has transformed you? Maybe that might be good homework to tell others, like I, I told this guy uh, this past week. You might do that. It might, might be a help to you. So let's pray. Oh, Father, I thank you, God, for the revealing work that the law does, how it shows us our sin, how it stirs us to sin, to show us of our own ineptness. God, we are inept to love you with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength. We are inept to love neighbor self. And so often we take those things and we can distort them. And and coveting, we are filled with passions. Uh, One person called our hearts an idol factory. We just make idols out of everything. God, as we pursue them passionately and and do our own bidding. And so, Lord, I would pray in your grace that you would, would help show us our sin. God, show us our Savior. And I, and I pray, God, as we begin next week in chapter 7, verse 14 and following, I, I pray the struggle with sin would be understood in our own hearts and minds. God, and that we would desire greatly to, to see our, our, our body free from sin. And walk in this way and understand appropriately when we fall. And, and see our need and dependence upon you. But God, also today, I pray for strength and for ability and conviction and just to share our testimonies this week with someone who doesn't know Jesus. God, what a really easy thing that is. But I've just been praying in recent weeks just for opportunities and looking for opportunities. You've been providing them. I think they've been around all the time. I haven't seen them to step through and would pray you'd continue to do that, that we'd be bold for Jesus, talk about where hope may be found. So God, shine your light on us. May we be that city on a hill. May we be that salt of the earth. God, that lifts you high, that draws people to yourself. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.